talks about other dreams, other things that have come across. Um, first thing I want to say is that there's been some disobedience, I guess I, we could say. Um, I have these dreams. I dismiss them, as anyone I think would. You dismiss them as just, but if you ate something the night before, right? it led to some crazy dream. Uh, things happen in your day. It leads to a particular you know, dream state. But um, this particular dream, uh, which became, as Bishop was saying, a, a repeated dream, uh, and other dreams I've had, I would not discuss them. I wouldn't even discuss them with my wife. I would just kind of keep it to myself. And what would happen is the dream would, the, the, that particular dream would come back again. And I just dismissed it as just, you know, just dreaming about the same thing. Uh, until one particular dream prior to the dream I'll talk about today uh, really hit home, really brought, uh, struck fear for the, the health and welfare uh, of, uh, for Bishop. And so I noticed that after speaking with him, the, the dream did not repeat itself. In fact, to this day, has not reoccurred. Um, so still hesitant, still not wanting to disclose what I dream about for fear of someone thinking I'm crazy or just, you know, just kind of babbling along. I uh, had this, another dream, as he introduced, um, that we, we discussed out in the trail. So uh, to kind of set the stage here, when you're trail riding on mountain bikes, uh, talking is probably not like the last thing you really want to be doing. Uh, you're struggling to keep the pace. You're, you're just breathing along. And um, long-winded Lewis is just talking about his dream. Uh, and, he made, you know, and he kind of joked about it later on. Basically, you know, after, I don't know, 20, 40 minutes, I don't know. I talked the, the entire time. 30 uh, minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes. 30 minutes of nonstop dream talking. Um, but no, the, um, it definitely, I, we hadn't ridden in a little while, and uh, the fact that he called and said, want to ride? I was you know, excited to ride again, but at the same time, I, I thought to myself, this is, this is a particular moment. This is something that God's intending for me to, to speak, because I, I didn't want to talk about this again. It's just repetition. James, not going to talk about it. But something led me to say, he's making the time to set this man up to speak with, so... Let me make sure I speak with him on it. And uh, we get on the trail, we start talking about it. And so the dream basically has had a few iterations uh, the, the night, that morning, technically. Um, Bishop was involved in the dream. It starts off with my oldest boy, uh, which unfortunately uh, does not attend a church for that matter. Uh, so he's always on my heart, um, always have concerns for him being out in the world. Uh, and no found, you know, foundation in, in Christ, at least he's, that he's living. So the dream starts off with my oldest calling me up and saying, um, I'm trying to pick up, and we call his grandmother, my mother, uh, they call her Mamiya. So he's, he calls up and he's telling me that uh, he was supposed to pick her up at the airport, and he's not able to pick her up. And so I'm concerned because I'm thinking, my mother's in New England, she doesn't fly. Why is she needing to be picked up in the airport? So there's concern. So I'm trying to reach back out to family, um, trying to call her. I'm trying to call my, my sister. And, uh, and I guess, as I'll just tell the dream, we'll then, I guess, kind of bounce back and forth as to what this stuff might mean. Another blessing, I have this dream, and I don't really understand any of it. But then by speaking with Bishop on it, 
there's some insight, there's some, some feedback that he gives, and it starts to evolve my understanding. Uh, so praise be to God for that, um, because what were just dreams that, you know, you just may I'll, I'll note it down um, or dismiss altogether. It has led, has grown to, to other understandings. But nonetheless, so I'm trying to, to reach out to, to them, and who comes to your house but the bishop. So bishops, he comes to, to the home, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm expressing my concerns about, you know, not being able to reach my mom, and just, again, kind of just confused by the whole matter, and he all of a sudden tells me, we have to get to church. So... When your bishop says, we need to get to church, and he's including himself, we get to church. So we hop in my vehicle, and we start heading to church. So I take the same exact route I always take every morning uh, to church, and uh, glory be to God, there was no traffic. Probably the one time going to church, there's no traffic, there's, every light is green, and I guess this is some of the understandings that, that start to evolve later. I hit every light all the time. There's always some type of delay. Uh, but while going to church, and we're talking about the concerns of what's been, you know, what's happening with my mother. Every light is green. I take my same exact path, even to the extent that the pothole that I always hit on the road that my wife always fusses with me that I need to stop hitting uh, is not there, right? So we're, we're going, going. It's the most easiest uh, ride to the church. But um, and why I say this is because everything was flowing. We're just we're just going to church, core faith. However, we get to where I have to actually stop. I stop at the lights, and Bishop mentioned Antioch. And so this is where it gets a little surreal, the condition. I'm looking over, and at one aspect, I'm in the vehicle, and even at some point, I'm like elevated out of the vehicle. I'm seeing from a higher angle. I see this open, where they usually park their vehicles. And there are no vehicles there, but there are there's people sitting on tables, and it kind of reminded me of our, our servant-tier dinners and things like that, our events, where there's just round tables, and there are these candles, large candles, in the middle. And that's all there is, just a white linen-covered table and a large candle, and, there, and there's people, and this is where, and I guess I'll just kind of generally explain, there are people standing, sitting, some are facing the candle, some are not, they literally faced away, um, some of the candles are lit, some of the candles are not lit. And so, and, and this detail, I guess, has come from repetitious dreaming of this event, but um, I didn't notice to, you know, the, the details of who and who was not looking at a, a lit candle or non-lit candle, but nonetheless, I could tell that some were lit, some were not, some were facing, some were not. Some were, it looks almost... Uh, dead or zombified, if you will. There was just no expression. While well, some were kind of like actively enjoying looking at the light. As I look over, though, trying to understand what's going on here, because it's Antioch, and I'm, if I see people, I expect then there's a service being held. Uh, and I look over, and there's a crowd of people at the sidewalk where these tables are set. And the people are kind of, not riotous, but they're, they're, they're chanting, they're yelling. Uh, trying to get the attention, what appears to be the attention of someone. And as I start to kind of focus on what, what, who or what they're looking at, I see the local you know, uh, PD, there's a vehicle there, the officer is not facing them, facing away, not walking them over, they, they, like, as if they cannot be permitted to cross over. And in the parking lot, there's no one but the large white 
Antioch bus. And the pastor there is standing, Pastor Jones, is standing there as if he had maybe come off the bus, but he's standing at the door, uh, entrance door to the bus. And he seems like he's trying to look across the street at those people, um, but as if he's obstructed. And there is a long line of evenly statured uh, deacons, men. They're in their black and white suits, and they're all lined up, not assisting him in any way to help him see. Um, and to some degree, it looked like maybe they were obstructing him. So I just, I see, you know, Pastor Jones trying to see them. The people are chanting over. These other people at these tables, facing in, facing outward, paying no attention to what's going on, the, the chaotic scene to some extent, um, you know, kind of sets me at, at an unease. What's, what's going on here? At that point, which I don't know, the light may have been green for a while, may have changed a few times, I don't know. But we then, like, Bishop's like, okay, we, you know, we got to keep going. So we keep going. And again, we go back to flawless driving. The rotary, there's no one engaging me in the rotary. I have free and clear driving, you know, uh, availability. I go all the way through. And as I come now to the church, I'm taking the final left onto the main road here that takes us into the church parking. And as I'm turning in, and I start to, and I kind of like looked at Bishop for a second to kind of like, as I took the turn, I think maybe because I do it with my wife, I make sure she's still seated okay after my crazy left-hand turning. But, uh, but as I go in left, I then go to look. Bishop's gone. He's left me. He's, at least that dream, I felt like, where did Bishop go? He just completely ghosted me. He just, what, did he barrel roll out of the, out the truck? Like, where, where did this man just go? Like, this is a whole, you know, whole odd situation has just happened. And there's no one there for me to now kind of reference, like, what's, what's going on at this moment. So I turn my focus back into the, the parking lot. Sorry. <laughs> oh, wow, that's a big difference. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my apologies. So, so as we go into the parking lot, Bishop is no longer with me. I'm, I'm by myself. And so the same tables are here. There's, under the lights uh, on the lawn, there's three tables, and there are certain people that I clearly recognize from, from the church, from the congregation, and there's a couple more out literally by the, the parking. And I, I, don't, I don't know what to do. And, and immediately, I'm no longer somehow, no longer in the truck. I'm just standing, and seemingly I can't reach anybody. I can't, no matter like how I'm moving, I'm walking, I'm not able to get to any particular table. Again, the same situation. The can, there's candles that are lit, candles that are not lit. Some are standing, not looking. Some are turned away. And then, again, through subsequent dreaming, one particular individual was there actively engaged in enjoying the light of the candle. And in the latter dream, after, this is another kind of rep, uh, repeat of the same dream, that individual then became part of this, the second dream and they were at the, the location with Antioch, and they were actively engaged there. And the only person that was actively engaging in the light, although some were sitting and looking at the light, this individual was literally as if they were in prayer, in worship and praise at the light. Um, so at that point, I come out of the dream, and I don't know what to make of it. Nonetheless, thankfully, I knew that I was gonna run into Bishop that morning, and I could, if I was brave enough, and not keep it to myself if I have many crazy dreams uh, that we would talk about it and, and thank 
Glory be to God, I did, I'm happy that I spoke with this, uh, to you about this because it, it helped me to have, again, the subsequent dreams, which I guess if I may just kind of jump into the second time I had this dream, um, it's about four in the morning, roughly when I woke up from this same dream again, except this time Bishop is not with me. It's kind of like a repeat of the same thing. I'm not able to reach my mom, not able to reach my sister. My oldest calls me, but then I, he doesn't call back again. And I head back out, and it's almost as if I knew I had to get to church. And so, same situation. This is where I see the individual from Core Faith at the, the grounds for Antioch. And again, they're actively engaged. And I get back to Core Faith again, and I, uh, I see, again, similar people again in the same state. But this time around, when I woke up, I just didn't say, well, I'll talk to Bishop on this in the morning. Um, I went to, went to scripture, <laughs> didn't, know, didn't know where to go. Uh, I had no in, intended book that I wanted to read. Uh, I find myself opening up to Luke 11, uh, and as I clarified after I went back to verify what I was reading, it was 33 and 34 of Luke 11 where it discussed our lamp. And at which point um, I started to read, and I was reading it over and over, and as I've You've, you've taught us to do, um, especially when I had no understanding why I was directed to this. I didn't even understand really what I was reading. Uh, you'd think it's pretty obvious, right? It's the lamp and these candles. It's a, it's a pretty immediate correlation, believe it or not. I, I wasn't picking up on that, especially at four something in the morning. And so I just kept reading it over and over and over again. Glory be to God, my wife did not wake up. Uh, she stayed soundfully asleep, or at least so she portrayed. I don't know. Uh, we'll find out. Um, but, um, but so I proceed to then message a small group. I don't know how I did it. I just, there was a group of brothers on, on my phone, and I send this message uh, basically explaining at least some understanding that I came to in the morning, which is about our light and um, not allowing darkness to fill that light. And I think, and there's, there's a whole lot more that I, I put in the message, but simply put, we at least for myself, sometimes we think we are shining light based on what we believe we've read, we've come to understand. And I know for myself, maybe I've not genuinely gone to prayer over something, some understanding. I've not been uh, committed to prayer uh, repeatedly, uh, consistently over something uh, of concern. And so I, at, at that time in the morning, I came to understand that maybe what was these individuals that were looking at the light, not looking at the light, was it some type of um, belief that they were exhibiting the light of Christ, which may not necessarily be the light of Christ. It's, it's our perception, our understandings. Not sure, and that's definitely something I've, I want to speak with Bishop on um, to kind of further on that. But um, definitely, it helped me to understand, at least for myself, that we, I'll say me, um, I asked for forgiveness. I had a conversation with my daughter about communion and kind of simplify it for her. Um, as long as you accept Christ, you believe in, in, in Jesus and that Jesus rose um, for us and you're able to repent of your sins, genuinely uh, acknowledge 
the sinfulness that we have all inside ourselves and we ask for forgiveness, we repent of that, you can partake in communion. And I realize that maybe my forgiveness that I'm asking for, um, and I described in the text message, was more of a matter of kind of sweeping my sins. I have to, to, to kind of declare that I still have a light of Christ in me. So Lord, you know, forgive me for using these this language that's inappropriate. Forgive me for the anger in my heart. And kind of, I'm going through the motions of just kind of declaring everything I've done, and, and I'm good. I've, I've asked for that, you know, for forgiveness. But yet, did I? Did I genuinely repent, which is to turn away from, and this is where, again, I don't know if this symbolic turning away, I'm not sure, of these individuals, but am I genuinely turning away from my sins? Mm-hmm. Well, if I keep repeating them, I keep using, in particular, language that's not appropriate. If I keep behaving uh, with individuals that work in a particular way that's not Christ-like. If I keep doing all the wrong things all the time, did I ever genuinely repent of it? I've not turned 180 degrees from that. So uh, I came to an understanding that I need to be more genuine with, and more, more honest with myself when I ask for forgiveness of things. I need to genuinely not just say, forgive me, Father, for ABC, but then actively seek him every day in helping me not use certain language. Seek him every day into changing my behaviors. Uh, seek him every day to basically grow that light. I'm afraid the entire time I was dreaming, I never had a table. I never had a lamp. I don't know if I'm, if I'm the one facing away from my light if my light is even lit, um, my candle's even lit. So I just, I just bring this dream, and I appreciate everyone's t- time to hear this, um, because a long time ago, I, uh, maybe not so long ago, I had a feeling like I had no value. I could not serve the Lord. I had no worth. I had lived a particular lifestyle. It was filthy. It was sinful. And... There, there was no purpose for me. So Lewis is you know, who he is, and he'll live his life, and that'll be the end of that. And never would I think in a million lifetimes that I would ever sit where great man stand, stand and speak the word of God to others, that I would have an opportunity to tell of a dream. So for that, I am absolutely grateful. Uh, give, give glory to God that I have an opportunity to actually... Um, maybe later, contact family to say, hey, that link I always send you, check out this sermon. You might, you might be interested in who's speaking this morning. So I thank you all for, for listening to this, and uh, I hope it has um, some sense of meaning or value. Amen. Amen. Thank you again. Amen. <laughs> thank you, man. Just so you know, in case you've never been up here, this is intimidating, you know, uh, to get up here and, and, and not be the, the preacher that will be sharing the word. And, you know, we, we, go to, we go to great lengths to make sure that we are able to share God's word. So I, share, I had Lewis share that dream, and he did give, John. Thank you. I had Lewis share that dream because I think that there is some truth 
a lot of truth in there that is important. You know, we spoke about the beginning of his dream, and in the beginning of his dream, he was seeing family members that were lost. How many of you are concerned about lost family members? Anyone? And I think that what happens is when we think about going to church, I think a lot of times church can simply become uh, this, this religious movement in our lives, like being in the house of the Lord has no real value when it comes to reaching our lost family members. And what Lewis shares is that we have this picture of him coming by one church, right? And, and I think that the churches, he was, he, they, you know, they were members at Antioch at one time. And I think that's why God gave, you know, gives him this symbolism there. But as he comes to one church, there's this seeming banquet, right? And you got to think about where we've been. We've been in the book of Revelation. And there's this banquet that is occurring almost outside. And people are there and they're around these tables. And there's a lamp that is lit on these tables, and what is happening, there are some people who are engaging like they ought to be, and there's other people who are not. And the one thing that, that Lewis didn't mention in his dream that he shared is that he said, even though it seems dead, it will live again. And he was speaking of the church, and right now the church has gone through this moment where it seems like, man, churches are dying I think that God is purging his church and he's removing certain things that are just not, they're not alive anyway. And so they're part of, of they're, they're, they're holding on and really sucking life rather than giving life. But the church is going to thrive because we serve a resurrected savior. But nonetheless, as he was there, you know, as I saw that bus, what I saw that bus is a place of what? It's a, you know, a vehicles and dreams typically symbolize ministry. And so it's a, a vehicle of, of getting to the, uh, the marriage supper of the lamb, right? And, 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 and there were people who were across the street that couldn't seem to make it there. But the church is called to be in prayer and intercession. He comes to core faith. He sees the same thing happening here. And what, you, what we didn't talk about, and that's, that's powerful interpretation, is have we repented? You see, because when we repent, what do we do? We turn from the darkness to the light. That's what repentance is. Repentance, you see, the problem with us as Christians is that we mentally assent to say, oh, that's sin, God forgive me, but we never turn away from it. We say, oh, that's wrong, and God forgive me because we feel bad for it in a moment, but there is no repentance. There is no turning away from that attitude. And you know what needs to happen to us? Is we need to have an awakening that that is sin. It is not okay to be part of that. I need to turn to the light. I need to allow the spirit of God to speak to me. And so when he was sharing with me, the scripture that came to mind is in Matthew chapter 25. If you would stand, please, and turn there with me. Matthew chapter 25, in verse 1. And again, we were in the middle of our Revelation series, and I want to take a few moments here to share what Matthew 25 is speaking of and what I believe that Jesus is trying to communicate to us even in this moment and speaking to my brother Lewis and sharing with him these powerful truths about us being part of the body, interceding and being part of the light and life of the body. Matthew 25, when you got it, say so. It says, then the kingdom of heaven shall be likened to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Now five of them were wise and five were foolish. Those who were foolish took their lamps and took no oil with them, but the wise took oil in their vessels with their lamps. But while the bridegroom was delayed, they all slumbered and slept. And at midnight, a cry was heard. Behold, the bridegroom is coming. Go to meet him. 
Then all those virgins arose and trimmed their lamps. And the foolish said to the wise, Give us some of your oil, for your lamps are going out. But the wise answered, saying, No, lest there should not be enough for us and you, but go rather to those who sell and buy for yourselves. And while they went to buy, the bridegroom came, and those who were ready went in with him to the wedding, and the door was shut. Afterward, the other virgins came also saying, Lord, Lord, open to us. But he answered and said, assuredly, I say to you, I do not know you. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour in which the Son of Man is coming. Father, I thank you for being with us this morning. Holy Spirit, I thank you for your presence that is here in this moment. I thank you for my brother Lewis and his willingness to obey, to share, to do something that is way out of his comfort zone, but nonetheless to share with us how you have spoken to him, and I believe firmly, not, just, not only on our behalf, but on behalf of the church. As we have been in Revelation and as we have been talking about end times and as we have been praying over these thus far 16 days, 17 days for, for revival and for a move of your spirit. And as we have been seeking you, God, I know that you are wanting to bring awakening to your church. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, open our ears, and draw us nearer to you, God. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. And I will say this one thing, you can be seated in the presence of the Lord. The, the one thing that I will say is you can be more, feel, feel free to speak to Lewis to see if you were in his dream. I think that's important. I didn't want to put that out there right now, but there are people, right, that were in that dream. He saw faces. And I think that it's important for you to realize that we have to be sure that we are the ones that are turned toward the light. As he shared this dream, this parable came to my mind. The wise virgins and the unwise virgins. Those who are ready for the return of Jesus and those who think they're ready. And my friends, I want you to know something. I love you and I say this with all sincerity. There are many of you in this room today, you think you're ready and you're not. You've been sitting under God's word. You've been hearing the preaching of God's word and you have not repented of your sins. You continue to live in your sins. You know God is speaking to you, and you rebel against him. And you are not ready. But the beauty of our God is that he loves you. And that today is a moment for you to repent, for you to stop playing church, for you to stop acting like it's okay to live how you want to live. Like there is another day. You know what the Bible says? Tomorrow is promised to no man. There is no other day. Today is the day of salvation. And if you need to repent, listen, stop playing around. Stop acting like, oh, no, no, no. Now is the moment. You hear God speaking to you. You've heard God speaking to you for months, for weeks. You know, and you keep suppressing it. And listen, that is the worst thing for you to do is to suppress the truth and unrighteousness. God is speaking to his church. It is time for us to wake up. 
We're talking about revival. What does revival mean? Some, that, that was a great question somebody asked me. And I want to give you some definitions. If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. The ushers will bring you one. I'm sorry, I'm going to start reading this. But in, in, in the intro of your outline, I was asked this good question. What is what do I mean by revival? As the, two weeks ago when I started preaching, as I started sharing God's word, I started speaking on revival, on, the, on a cry for revival. Psalm 85, if you haven't heard the sermon, go back and hear it. But I thought it was a great question, and, and, and the person was genuinely concerned. They're like, I don't, I'm, just, I'm just not sure if God can bring revival at this time, if God will bring revival at this time, because we are living in the latter days. And I would say yes and amen. We are living in the latter days for sure, to be sure. I firmly believe that what Paul spoke of, and I believe 1 Thessalonians might be second, where he said that because men did not love the truth, God will send them a strong, a spirit of delusion. Understand this. In our nation right now, we are living under this delusion. There is deception that is there that we accept as truth, and we cannot accept that any longer as a church. We need to be bold and call out. And listen to me, I am not talking about political junk. I'm not talking about that garbage church. You need to repent for being more of a Republican than you are a Christian. Hear me. Or being more of a Democrat than you are a Christian because we think that's the gospel. Listen, conservatism is not the gospel. Understand me. That is not it. It is us being a church and repenting of our sin and recognizing, wait a second, we're supposed to live holy in these days. We can't be letting lies enter into our world like it's okay. It's not okay, my friends. It is not okay. The one thing the Lord spoke to me early on when we started praying for revival, he will not move, listen to me now, he will not move in conjunction with any political party. Hear those words. He is not going to bring revival connected to that party or this party. You know why? Because they're all corrupt. Understand that. But that's the delusion. The delusion is, well, hey, if I'm a good, you know, if I'm a good conservative, then Jesus must love me. Really? If, I, if, I'm, a, if I'm a good liberal, you know, I, I really care about the people at the border. I really care. Oh, hold on a second. Church, the reality is we have to come to this place that we realize that this strong, this spirit of delusion is moving throughout our land. And, and for long enough, the church just sat by idle like, oh, it's all, it's, all, it's all good. No, church is not okay. So what do I mean by revival? Well, let's look at some definitions here. The, this is an important thing, and this is why this is so important. Because how is it possible that we are going to cry out to God for revival if we're not in one accord? How can we do that? If you think revival is this and I think revival is this, how are we praying together? We're not. You know what you, you know what God has been dealing with me on just in a huge way in these last couple of days? Unity. Church, we're not unified. We, core faith, are not unified. Y'all doing this, you're doing that, you're going there, you're going here. Wait a second, where's the unity in the body? Where's the cry out for the Spirit of God? Where's the cry out for the hunger of the Lord? Where's the desperation for God? Oh, I got to go to this party. Okay, I got to go hang out with these people. I got to go do this. Wait, 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 wait. This is on my schedule. Hold on. Can, can you clear your schedule for the presence of God? Can you say, you know what? I had this on my schedule, but God is calling me to something higher. Can we do that? How about when the Holy Spirit wakes you up, you know, that hour earlier than you actually set your alarm clock? Oh, you thought that was just you. And you laid there and you were mad for an hour because you tossed, turned, tossed, turned, couldn't go back to sleep. And you're like, dog on it, this alarm clock, I hate it. Now realizing that the one who woke you up was waiting for you to go seek him. 
The one who got you up, it wasn't, it wasn't uh, insomnia. It wasn't that I had a bad night. It wasn't that I have, you know, indigestion. No. It wasn't that I just had to use the, re- I don't know what it was that woke you up, but I know it was the Lord. Can we make time for him? See, we got to be unified if we want to see God move. Let me, I mean, sincerely. Don't raise your hand and don't say yes just because I'm all hyped and you feel like that's the right thing to do. But sincerely, do you really want God to move? Do you really believe that God, is, that, that God wants to do something great? In your heart, like, do you, are you just like, man, I'm cool? Because if you're just cool, all right, man, then you should just, you can leave now. I mean, seriously, if you're cool with just how things are, then okay, I love you, I appreciate you. But you're going to be offended for the rest of this message, and I got like 30 minutes left, hallelujah. So what's revival? If you Google revival... Means this, it means an improvement in the condition or strength of something. An improvement in the condition or strength of something. I think that revival does that. It improves the condition of the church, it strengthens the church. If you look at Wikipedia, Christian revivalism is increased spiritual interest or renewal in the life of a church, congregation, or society with a local, national, or global effect. This should be distinguished from the use of the term revival to refer to an evangelistic meeting or series of meetings. I think that's good. I think that's important. Because for many of us, we grew up in churches where we were having revival. And revival meant a week that a preacher was going to come and preach. He was an evangelist, and he was going to preach fire, brimstone. People were going to come to Jesus, and that was revival. That's all good. That's definitely something that God will use. I have no issue with that. But that's not biblical heaven-sent revival. Heaven sent revival is something else. It's something greater. And so you see a bunch of letters there. You're like, did Bishop speak in tongues when he was typing here? What happened there? (laughs) That's from the book, When God Stepped Down from Heaven. This is what they say. Look at what it says. When men in the streets are afraid to open their mouths and utter godless words, lest the judgments of God should fall. When sinners overawed by the presence of God, tremble in the streets and cry for mercy. When without special meetings and sensational advertising, the Holy Ghost sweeps across cities and towns in supernatural power and holds men in the grip of terrifying conviction when every shop becomes a pulpit, every heart an altar, and every home a sanctuary, and people walk softly before God, this is revival. So what are we praying for? We're not just praying that God would strengthen the church or make us better. We're praying that God would sweep throughout this region and do something that is overwhelming in the hearts of people. Revival isn't about church growth. It's about kingdom expansion. It's not about us having more people in the building or more people in the room. It's not about that. God, listen, if you read your Bible and you go back to the book of Acts, the scripture says multiple times, God added to the church daily those were saved. You want to know why that happened? Notice this. In everything that we see throughout the book of Acts, we do not see an evangelistic campaign. We don't see some program of a week-long preaching. What we see is that people were filled with the Spirit of God and they opened their mouth with boldness for the glory of God and the hearts of sinners were convicted and people came to faith in Jesus. 
God doesn't need a program to add to his church. He needs a church that he can add to. That's what he needs. He needs a church that says, I want God more than I want my life. I want God more than I want every other comfort I have. I want God more than anything that this world has to offer. That is what God is looking for. You know why? Because the first church, the quote I just read from you when God stepped down from heaven, that's speaking of the Hebrides revival, powerful. If you haven't been here for the, for the last three Friday nights, hallelujah, glory to God. While we've been praying, we've been reading through this book and just letting God stir our hearts. I read the book like three or four times already because I know that God wants to do something in a mighty way. No question. But are we available? Well, let me just tell you. Let me, let me answer the question for you. No, we're not. Because most of you haven't been here Fridays. So that means we're not available because we were too busy doing something else. It's not about, but wait, wait, wait. That's just about Friday nights. Let me ask, I always say this, because I, I feel this is important, right? Because it's not just about the Friday night meeting or the Wednesday night meeting. It's not just about that. Let me ask you a question. What does your prayer life look like? What does your intimacy with God look like? What does your brokenness before the Lord look like? Are you there in the presence of God every day crying out, God, there's got to be more. Lord, when I look at your word, I am desperate for what I see. I want to see your glory in this earth. Like, is that you? Because if that's you, then don't let anything that I just said about Friday night bother you. I get it. Listen, hey, listen, I get it. There are some things you can't get out of. I get it. I understand. Oh, but there's some things you just don't want to get out of because you're too busy. We're too busy. For God, let me bring it home. Last night, or the night before, I don't remember. Oh, by the way, we also have Zoom calls every night, in case you were wondering. From 8 to 11. As we were reading in there, John chapter 15, one of my favorite portions of scripture. The Lord just smacked me. And I don't mean that rudely, like God is up here abusing people. That's not what I mean. As we're reading about John 15 and Jesus saying, you can do nothing apart from me. But if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. And this guy right here was broken before God. Because I've had moments, oh yeah, I've had moments of abiding but they haven't been consistent because see, abiding continues always, always, always. As the Lord has been dealing with me over these last few months on revival and calling me, and and listen, if he's calling me, he's calling us. He doesn't want to just revive Jason. He wants to revive the church. He doesn't just want to awaken and revive core faith. He wants to awaken the church. That's what he wants to do. And so here's what I, what, what, what I know is that I have to repent. It's not, listen, you may, you may feel like, man, he's coming hard. That's okay. Hard words produce soft hearts. Soft words produce hard hearts. You know what we have a nation full of in our churches? A bunch of hard hearts. They don't want to hear real, they don't, they don't want to hear the truth. They don't want to be called to repentance because it's too easy to go sit in a big church where you get lost. And guess what? I ain't got nothing wrong with big churches. Hey, let God. The first church was 3,000 off rip. Hallelujah. That's a big church. Amen. 
God is all about mega churches, but mega churches that are about making disciples. But it's easy for you to go and sit down and, and hear a sermon that makes you feel good. I assure you, you don't feel good right now. Can I tell you something? I don't feel good sharing this with you. You think I want to share this? You think that I'm like, oh, yes, I want to beat them up. No. But you know, sometimes when someone's sleeping and they just don't want to wake up, you got to get ruthless. You got a kid that, that, that's, that doesn't want to wake up? Eventually, you're going to bring that cold water. Because they got to get up. Church, I don't want any of us to be part of the five foolish, foolish virgins. I don't want, I don't want, I, I, when, when I go and stand before the Lord, like after I'm preaching this sermon and I go before the Lord, I want to know that I didn't preach my words, but I shared his. I want to know that I was not over here trying to make people feel good or feel bad. I'm not doing any of that. Church, we have to wake up. See, two things that we have to understand. Number one, the church is in desperate need of revival. The church is in desperate need of revival, and the world is in desperate need of awakening. Now, we use those words interchangeably, but there is a difference. And I want to be very, very specific in this moment because when I pray for revival, I am praying for us because you are not a follower of Jesus if you were not awake at one time. You are not a follower of Christ if you did not come to life. That is the whole thing about being born again. And if you have not been born again and you don't, you've never experienced the life of God, today is the day for you to repent of your sin and turn to Christ and let him give you new life. But the fact is this, is that the church has, has sorely fallen asleep. The church needs to be revived. It needs breath that is fresh in it. We need a, a, a fresh wind from heaven. That is what we need in the church today. Because the world needs to be awakened because the world is dead and their trespasses and sins. We're not dead Unless we're like the church in Revelation that we have a name that we're alive, but we're really dead in God's eyes. I will say this. I want you to think about a lot of things today, but I want you to think about this one. A waiting church will be a revived church. A waiting church will be a revived church. What did Jesus tell his disciples before he ascended into heaven? He told them to do what? To wait in Jerusalem, until they were endued with power. And what did the church do? Did they say, man, I got time to wait. Sorry, Jesus. We got, we, got, we got things to do. No. For 10 days straight, they waited. For 10 days straight, three times a day, they got together and they prayed and they waited and they sat before God. And then when the day of Pentecost had fully come, the scripture says, suddenly, 
These tongues of fire descended, sat upon each of them. There was a mighty rushing wind that blew, and they began to speak in tongues that, listen, they were languages that all of those who were around heard them speaking. It wasn't some crazy thing that was happening in the room where people were speaking ecstatic languages that nobody understood. There was a purpose for that moment. God filled them. The point is not the tongues. The point is they were filled with the Spirit of God. They were filled with the Spirit of God. And from that moment on, the trajectory of those disciples, Peter, who was a denier of Jesus, became one who was ready to die for Christ at any moment. He was in the face of those who he was cowering to before, doing what? Preaching to them, you're the ones that killed Jesus. Think about that. Think about someone who is like looking for a whooping. Hello. Peter gets up there and he preaches to them and lets them know, you're the ones, you're the ones that are guilty. And while we were not there nailing Jesus to the cross, to be sure, our sin was. Our sin put Christ on the cross. And so we are guilty of that. So a waiting church, we need to become waiters, y'all. Let me ask you a serious question. Like I haven't asked you like three or four already. Do you serve at the pleasure of the king? I'm not, I'm not talking about if you serve in ministry. Whether you're a minister by title or you're a minister by service, that, that, I'm, you're, you're called to be a servant of the Lord. Do you serve at the pleasure of the king? When the king asks you something, do you say, yes, Lord, here I am? Or do you put 16 excuses and look at your calendar and say, well, Lord, I'll see if I can fit you in. Because that's what most of us do if we're 100% honest about it. It's time for us to stop fitting God in and for us to wait on him. Just like a waiter when they come, like some of you are going to go to a restaurant after we leave here today, and you're going to sit down, and there's going to be a waiter or waitress who's going to come to your table, and they're going to say, hey, my name is so-and-so, and thank you so much for being in here. Is this your first time being here? And they're going to be like all nice to you and everything because they're looking for that tip. And if they're a good waiter or waitress, you know what they're going to do? After they serve you, they're, they're going to bring you your water. They're going to bring you your beverage. You're going to bring, and then, and then, you know, and then they're going to come back and be like, is there anything else that you need? Are you ready to order your food? Do you need a couple more minutes? And then after they serve you this, they're going to come and let you know if the food is taking a little while. They're going to come and say, hey, just want to let you know the food should be up in a few minutes. Because, you know, they start to see you get fidgety, right? You get tired of the whatever it is you're eating, the bread or the. <laughs> and then after they serve you your food, what do they do? They keep coming by, hey, is everything, how is everything tasting? How about, if we how about if we treated our Savior with that kind of attention in our lives? Lord, I'm here. I've read your word. I know what you want. Lord, I'm here. Is there anything else that you want from me? Every day. Is there anything else that you want from me? See, because that's how we come to this place of revival. That's how we come to this place where we are waiters before the Lord. I have so much that I want to say. But here's what I will say. There were 10 virgins here. 10. 
They all looked alike. They were probably dressed the same. They had the same little lamp in their hand. They got dressed up. They got pretty. And they were ready for that banquet. Or so it seemed. And yet Jesus says, five of them were fools. Oh, we shouldn't call anyone a fool. Jesus did. And if you're a fool, you need to hear those words. Don't be a fool. Turn away from your foolishness. And then there were five that were wise. There were five that were there. These, they were there. And you know what the scripture tells us? The scripture tells us that these five, these 10 virgins came out with excitement. And it says something. The bridegroom delayed. You know what the problem is? The problem is the bridegroom has been delayed. And you know why we are foolish? Is because we've been hearing, for some of us, since we were yay big. Matter of fact, you might have still been in the womb hearing this. Hello. Jesus is coming. Get ready. And you think, oh, he hasn't come. And then you hear sermons like the one that I preach, and I try to walk you through stuff and show you, hey, these are some things that have to happen. And you're like, well, we still got time. Really? Really? We got time? Notice what he says. They knocked on the door. <laughs> the, bride, the, the bridegroom calls. They wake up. Because I want you to notice, all 10 of them fell asleep. It wasn't like a few of them fell asleep. All of them fell asleep. But when the bridegroom called at midnight, you know, how many of you love calls at midnight? Some of y'all be like me. I'll be like, my bad, my bad. I'm sorry, I missed your call. <laughs> I was asleep, you know, my bad. None of us is like waiting for a midnight call. Neither were they. Or so it would seem, because guess what? They had their lamps. And as soon as the bridegroom called, they all got up, trimmed those lamps, turned the lamps on, and all of a sudden, five of their lamps started flickering. Those must have been the five that were so worried about looking so cute. <laughs> Because they had been bridesmaids for so many weddings, they were like, doggone it, maybe we'll find a guy this time. Maybe, maybe we didn't get dressed up the right way last time. Every other, I'm sick of being a bride, a, a bridesmaid, I want to be a bride already. I don't know what they were doing, but when they trimmed those lamps, all of a sudden the flicker started happening. They were like, yo, we forgot the oil. Hey, give us some of your oil. What? Nah. If we give you some of our oil, there's not going to be enough for us and you. So guess what? Y'all go get some oil from the people you can buy it from. So many different definitions of what this oil was. Does it symbolize the Holy Spirit? Does it symbolize this? Let me tell you what I, the only thing that I can conclude. Because there's no real definition. Because I don't want to make it a works thing. Because it's not about works. But there was one group that was prepared, the other one was not. And the only thing that I can conclude is that this oil has to symbolize true faith versus false faith. This oil is, is, the, is, is the difference between those who confess 
or profess their faith in Jesus and those who really believe that Jesus is God the Son and that what Jesus has said will come to pass. Because there is one group that is surely ready. And where do I get this from? Well, when I think about this, if you look at Isaiah 55, you don't have to turn there now and mental note it. Write it down if you're taking notes. You have an outline in front of you. Isaiah 55 says what? Come all ye, buy without money. And he's talking about what? Salvation. All of you who thirst, all of you who are hungry, come and buy with no money. Wait a second, that doesn't make sense because somebody already paid the price. Our works don't save us. Our works show that we're saved, that's for sure. What is the, what, what is the vision verse of our church? Hebrews 11.6. But without faith, it is impossible to please God. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. But what does our vision say further? Our vision is to please the Lord by obedience to the written and revealed direction of the word of God. So I give you the short version when you go through Core Faith 101 to please the Lord. But how do you please God? You please God by faith. What does faith actually look like? Faith is not some abstract thing. No, faith is seen in the way we live. It is by pleasing the Lord. By faith, we please him. We please him how? Because, Lord, I believe and I believe what your word says is true, and so I have to obey your word. And Lord, when you speak to me, whether it's through a preacher, a pastor, whether it's through just your spirit nudging me, whether it's through my children, however it is, when you speak to me outside of this word, I need to obey because that pleases you. Not works, but faith being lived out. And so here is my closing question for you. If you believed that Jesus could return at any moment, how would that change the way you're living right now? Would anything change? If you believe that Jesus could return at any moment, would you watch that program? If you believe Jesus could return at any moment, would you listen to that music? If you believe that Jesus could return at any moment, would you tell that lie? If you believe that Jesus could return at any moment, would you compromise your beliefs to make other people feel good or would you say, heck no? If you believe that Jesus would return at, every, at any moment, would you excuse yourself 
from a Sunday morning? Would you excuse yourself from a Friday night prayer time? Would you excuse yourself from being in fellowship and small groups? Would you excuse yourself from sharing the gospel with those who desperately need it? If you believed that Jesus could return at any moment, what would change in you? And my last question is this, then what are you waiting for? Father, we humble our hearts in your presence. I want you to think about this. Keep your heads bowed, please. Or you can look at me either way. It doesn't matter. But I want you to think about this. Are you ready to make those changes? You know what he's talking to you about. Are you ready to repent and turn to the light? Are you ready to stop being a hypocrite? Are you ready to stop playing church? Lord, I've shared your word. Holy Spirit, I've been as obedient as I know how. We need heart transformation, God. And only you can do it. But you're waiting on us. Listen, if you're serious and you know that God spoke to you and you know that you are saying yes to God, that Lord, yes, yes, I want you to revive my heart. Yes, I want you to break up the hardness of my heart. I don't want you to wait for the person beside you to see if someone else is going to jump up. I ask you to get up and come forward right now so we can pray together before the Lord. And we're just going to humble our heart before God. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you in this moment. And as we started this service, Lord God, we declare, Lord, it is not about us. It is not about us. 
This walk has never been about us. It has always been about you. And so, Lord, we humble ourselves before you because we know that judgment begins in the house of the Lord. And so, God, you are calling us to repentance. You are calling us to surrender. You are calling us to turn from our sin, to turn from the darkness and turn to the light, God. You are calling us, Lord, to be engaged with you. Father, I pray that you would break up the hardness of our hearts, that you would break up the shallowness of our hearts, that you would liberate us from the weeds that would try to choke out your word. God, let our hearts be good ground, my Lord. We want to bear fruit, Father, and so we know that it is not about today. Lord God, it is about your kingdom. It is about your glory. It is about you being glorified in us and us abiding in you. And so that is my prayer for myself along with my brothers and sisters who have responded to you. God, let us abide in you from this moment forward, Lord. Father, break the chains that have held us back. Liberate us from our idols, God. Liberate us from those things that we love more than you, God. Liberate us from those comforts that we take so, Lord God, seriously, and yet, God, we don't respond to your call. Lord, today we respond to you. And we say, here we are. Here we are, God. Revive your church and awaken our world to who you are. Oh, we surrender. We surrender, Lord. We surrender. Hallelujah. Holy Spirit, do your work in us. Do your work in us, God. May we humble ourselves before you, God, with our whole hearts, with our whole lives. Holy Spirit, renew us. Revive us, God. In Jesus' name. <sighs> Father, thank you, God.